father used to go to this diner with a friend every week. Go for lunch, go for dinner. And there was this really nice waiter kid who was always looking at him. And my father just thought, oh, I don't know why. Maybe he thinks I'm a somebody because everyone always thinks he's a somebody. He was stopped in the street. Someone thought he was Christopher Lloyd and so on. So one day the kid finally comes up to him and says, you know, I've always really admired your work and, you know, just want to know if I could get your autograph. And my father says, yeah, sure, you know. And I guess the kid mentioned a couple of films so that my father knew what he was talking about. Basically, the waiter thought he was Al Pacino. My father signed the autograph as Al Pacino, let the kid go on his way. And I said, well, how could you do that? The poor kid is thinking, you know, I just met Al Pacino. And he said, well, what, I'm going to shatter his dreams? Hello, folks. It's 4 a.m., or as it's known around these parts, Dale O'Clock. And I'm your host, Dale Schieffer, and you're listening to another episode of Dale Radio, broadcasting from the deep night and coming to you, as always, from the foul banks of the Gowanus. The voice of the Gowanus, perhaps. I've been called that, and I'll take it, because I speak for that which rises up, that which gets stirred about in a summer storm, and the terrifying muck of creativity. Tonight, as the Verizon trucks hum in the distance and the guana surges with the last of the warm summer mosquito larva, I bring you a wonderful conversation with another gifted individual about characters and the creative process. Author, actor, and all-around delightful person, Kate Skelsa is my guest. Today, she's got a new book out called Fans of the Impossible Life. I've read it. I did. I did my homework, and it is fantastic, a really touching book. And uh, I've long been a fan of the impossible life myself, (laughs) especially the life that involves doing everything in yoga pants. Everywhere you look, people are in these yoga pants. It's marvelous. Uh, In fact, I am podcasting in my yoga pants right now. I hope it's not too distracting for you to listen to. They leave very little to the imagination. Before we get to Kate, who is a great writer, let's talk about audiobooks, shall we? Do you enjoy them? I sure do. And the way I get my authors reading books to me aloud is through audible.com. There are sponsors for this episode, and if you enjoy reading but like hearing more, give audible.com a try with a free 30-day no-hassle trial of their service with over 100,000. It boggles the mind. Audio titles in their stable. You're sure to find something that you'll like, and you may even hear me. How about this? I did some audio bits for Audible, and you can find me on a program called The Weirdness, which you can have access to if you uh, get a trial over there. Now, I haven't heard heard it myself, uh, only in bits and pieces and fits and starts, but uh, look into it, won't you, and see if you can you can hear me. I have a little a regular bit on that, The Weirdness. It's the kind of actual news uh, covered in an unusual Way, But whatever your pleasure is, whether it's historical fiction or, um, I don't know, books about fish maintenance, 
I suppose. Uh, go to audibletrial.com slash Radio and sign up today for a free audio book and trial of their service. You do that, I earn a little green, and we're all the better for it. And very, very happy on a deep and profound level. We're pairing today's show with a little Santa Teresa of Venezuelan rum. Comes in through Miami. So, uh, yeah, what are we talking about? (laughs) We're talking about being happy, that's for sure. Uh, This is a show about characters and the people who are them and those who create them for the stage, the page, and the screen. So at the top of the show, we feature an audio character portrait, a little observation often about the characters that are all around us. Uh, Those are in just those that populate these thriving metropolises that uh, in which we live. On today's program, oh, it's Jenny Rubin. Jenny's a gifted comedian and storyteller whose long-running show is called, wait for it, The Jenny Rubin Show. Uh, it's a staple here in New York, and it's a, it's a wonderful program with great people, and she's always got one coming up, so uh, be on the lookout for it if you're in New York. Uh, Jenny also takes beautiful photographs of moments around New York. In fact, I would argue that the whole city is a character in her work, revealing itself frame by frame, a blue door in the rain here, a reflection there, a person walking their Dalmatian in a floppy hat. Nothing says New York like that. It's truly, that's essential. New York there, and uh, she's just great. And if I tell you, we'll have to have her on this program because if you enjoy uh, stories, she's the source. She's been around long enough and seen a lot of stuff. Uh, <laughs> so we'd like to talk to her again. And our thanks to Jenny uh, Rubin. Also, our theme music at the top of the show, courtesy of Chris Shockwave Sullivan. He did that theme, and he said, "Listen, you can have it as long as I mention his new podcast, which just launched." No, okay. Shocking awesome is what it's called, and it's terrific. Head over to headgum.com or on iTunes. And while you're there, as long as you're listening to somebody else's podcast, why don't you uh, give us a, a rating, a review? Just click the five stars, or however many stars you, in, you, you would prefer. And, uh, but probably five. Five sounds right to me. It's a nice number. Uh, but every mention and every subscription helps our standings over there. So they tell me. Now, just the other night, I had the pleasure of making my six. Can you believe it? My six appearance on the wildly popular Running Late with Scott Rogowski program. It was myself, NY1's Bud Mishkin, Sal Volcano, David Feldman, and Horatio Sands. And uh, here we go, magic. And, uh, yeah, I think that, well... I think that was everybody. And uh, my thanks to to Scott for having me back. It's always so much fun. And despite my Uber driver's failed attempt to drive me home via the battery tunnel, <laughs> would have been a straight. It's just a straight line from from where I was. He starts to get on to the 490 this, and I said, hold on there, Pala. <laughs> You know, hold on there. Uh, Pella was his name. They tell you the names now of the drivers. It comes up on your phone. I said, hold on, Pella. You don't want to get that way. You better head head to the right there. And I felt like I was going to be Uber-napped. Maybe that's what was going on. I don't know. He identified as ex-military. Is that what's what's happening now? We're paying for the privilege to be kidnapped. Anyway, uh, luckily I interrupted him. He was, you know, he he was a character, and he was started telling me about how he's very outgoing, but his uh, woman, 
as she said, is not uh, is uh, not as uh, much of an extrovert. And as she's telling me this story, seeing how shy she was, and yet she was walking dogs for some lady, and how he encouraged her to start her own business. And I'm all for women-owned businesses, but <laughs> I had to scream out, Bella, I don't want to be in a tunnel with you. And uh, there's only a handful of people I want to be in a tunnel with, honestly. Some of them were at the uh, Scott show. It was uh, nice to hang out backstage and swap showbiz stories as we do. It turns out that Sal, who's part of this Impractical Jokers thing, big deal, they do pranks on everybody. He and I had been on the same stage at the little Eureka Theater in San Francisco oh, 12 years ago, one of the first iterations of the SF Sketchfest. And now look at him. Here he is going on a big uh, cruise and pranking people and pretending he's doing stuff to them. And he's got millions of followers, and uh, I have you three. So it's always wonderful to catch up with a friend from the past, isn't it? To see how well they're doing. Time marches on for some of us. Folks, uh, speaking of time, my birthday's coming up. And instead of talking about the severe and profound depression this has triggered in my being, let's take a listen to my wonderful discussion with Kate Skelsha. If her last name is familiar, it may be because her father was legendary radio host here in New York, in New Jersey, Vin Skelsha. We talk about growing up with him, uh, her experience, I didn't grow up with them um, in any in any way, really, so we talk about that. They have their own podcast now, the two of them, a father-daughter kind of deal, and it's just charming and surprising and a wonderful thing, so find that. And how many podcasts that are not my own can I recommend <laughs> on one show? There used to be a lot fewer of us podcasters. Now everybody's in on it. I'm going to have to get a virtual reality show just to keep ahead of everyone. Oculus Seaver. You're going to have to buy some goggles and come sail down the Gowanus with me. Anyway, Kate is great, and uh, let's get to it. You'll see what I'm talking about. Kate Skelsa. Oh, my goodness. Kate Skelsa, here we are. How are you? I'm so happy to see you. Well, I'm happy to be seen. I'm happy to be here with you. And we have a couple of cats lounging about, don't we? That's how it goes. One friendly, one unfriendly. (laughs) That's how you described it to me. They can be creepy, though, can't they, cats? Yes. And we have, they're both black cats, so they are kind of Halloween creepy. Mm -hmm. You know, they have that stigma attached to them. Yeah. They always got something going on, don't they? The cats. (laughs) You think they might be reincarnations of people? Yes. Well, they're definitely, we think that, my wife and I relate to them as our spirit animals. Oh, I see. And one is her spirit animal and one is mine. And they reflect our deepest spirits. Are you the friendly one? I'm the friendly one who just... I don't want to get you in trouble with your wife. Well, I'm I'm the one that just wants to eat and sleep. Yeah. That's all. That would be me. Yeah. I like that musical catch. Yeah, that's a good one. People don't like it. Oh, I think it was my first musical that I ever saw. I think Annie for me, and then, uh, then and Cats. Then, and then Catch. Those are the big ones. Those are the big ones. Then Starlight Express. Oof. Yes! There you go. Oh, I loved Starlight Express. Oof. Oh, I think that uh, made me excited about roller skating. Absolutely. Then and now. Yeah. Maybe less inclined towards theater, but more about roller skating. Well, I still don't understand. Have you revisited that show as an adult? Like it was, there were they were trains. Yeah, it was about trains. Yeah, people on roller skates personifying a tr- 
each a different train. That's right. And they were fighting or or racing, racing maybe. Race fighting. <laughs> <laughs> and singing. <laughs> God, when is that going to come back? Right? There hasn't been another take on that. No, please. Someone please bring back. Have some guts, public theater. Oh, right. Put oh, up some God. rails. <laughs> you know what I mean? Where's the bravery gone? Oh, no. Oscar. Yeah. Thank you. Ah, oh, gosh. Well, you've been touring with this book. You just got back from the West Coast. Yes. Everything okay? Yes, it went it went well. Um, I did three little events, one in San Francisco and two in Los Angeles. Oh, those are nice places. Yeah, it was good. I got to do something at the Central Library in L.A. Oh, a gorgeous place. Building. That's a gorgeous place, sure. Um, and it was in their young adult. They have a whole teen section there. So God that bless was them. Very adorable. Yeah, it was, it was it was good. The book's been out for like two weeks. Two weeks, that's right. And we were going to get together before. But then uh, scheduling kind of got in the way, and you had yeah. some kind of issue with the with fleas. I had fleas. You had fleas. What happened? You went to the beach. Oh, we think maybe it was the beach. I yeah, don't know. That's you why know, I don't go. I've never been. Try not to, to take vacations because you don't know what you're going to bring back. Well, I've never been to a New York beach before. And Lesson I learned. I think I got fleas at the beach. <laughs> but they're gone now. Everything's gone. okay. And and fleas are much easier to get rid of than. Um, Anything like, else? Don't oh, even say oh, it. Don't oh. even say it. I feel as if you're, you're conjuring them oh. if you say it. I'm also not sure they actually exist. I talked to a lady who's an expert in that. I'm still not sure they exist. You think it's like a mass hallucination? I think it's a psychological terror. Oh yeah, that makes sense. Because I dealt with them, I didn't even have them, and I was a, I, I I saw bites. I didn't have them. Wait, what? That's what I'm saying to you. <laughs> Yeah, you the upstairs neighbor said, you. hey, uh, I, I think I might have brought something home from the boyfriend. And so we went into panic mode, shut the whole thing down, gas it, whatever, got the beagle in there. <laughs> and uh, we thought we had these things. And I shot three bites on my arm. Oh, my gosh, this is what it is. They bite in a uh, You know, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. That's what they say because they do it in a row. Well, it wasn't that. It wasn't that. How do you know it wasn't? We, we didn't. There was no evidence ever. There was no evidence. We didn't have them. No one has them. But everything I own is clean. <laughs> Thousands of dollars. Anyhow. <laughs> well, Kate, I'm always touched uh, whenever you uh, favorite a tweet of mine. Because sometimes it makes me feel less alone. It does. You're often up late, as am I, and we're sometimes watching the, the same awful thing on television. Yes. And then I just get a little boop, and I say, oh, Kate's up. Kate's just up. a little hello, a little 2 a.m. hello. <laughs> That's right, just a little. So thank you for that. Thank you for Make, writing such good tweets. Oh, well, and, you know, I hope that I've, I've returned the favor enough. Oh, yes. Uh, I hope that I've faved in, in response, because it's always delightful. And that's what life is, isn't it? Just us sitting alone in the dark, faving, touching our phones. Faving each other's tweets. <laughs> giving out stars. Now, you recently started hemming in on my territory. Mm. You launched a podcast. I did. How's that going? It's going really well. Uh, it's me and my dad, who... Uh, radio legend. Radio legend, Vin Skelsa. Vin Skelsa. Who's been doing... He just retired this past spring after doing radio for almost 50 years. Wow. And he wanted to retire and go sit on his couch and turn on the History Channel and then die there. 
Yeah. That was like his plan. <laughs> that's that's how. Yeah. And he, I think he probably gave himself like two to ten years of of lying on the couch watching the history. <laughs> I mean, the man is in, you know, knock on wood, in good health. Good, good health. But so it this was would a have, little. This like... process would have taken many years. Right. It's a lot of History Channel that he would have been laying down. Right. They've got, you know, they've got new programming coming out all the time. I hope. They... Yeah. <laughs> right, there is only so much history. Th- that's right. There well said. Seems like there's <laughs> they ought to there's cap a cap it. at yeah, a certain yeah, point. Yeah. Um, so I didn't want that to happen. I wanted us to have just a little activity, maybe yep. that we move did. the legs. Yeah, just have to move at least to the other room in the house. Right, like a long flight. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Right. You get the circulation going. Gotta get up. I wear compression stockings. <laughs> right. Just yeah. at home. Oh, yeah. Well, that's what the doctor said, but especially on long flights. They're very slimming. That's true. They are. They really yeah. suck everything yeah. in. Yep. Yep. Um, and so he has been on radio, right, for almost 50 years uh, in New York, and he's got all these really incredible recordings of interviews with all these legendary people like Allen Ginsberg and Joey Ramone, and, um, and they're just sitting in my parents' basement, and... It seemed like, to me, it was like, this is stuff that people want to hear and that needs to be shared. And podcasting is such a great way to just make stuff available. So we're we're working up to that. We've been kind of interviewing each other and talking about how he got into radio. And uh, the last episode we did had this really great audio from, uh, I think it was the summer of 68 when... My mom was at the Democratic National Convention in Chicago. Oh yeah, and she was calling Breaking back in. in. She yeah, she was <laughs> right. She was um, because they were they had reinvigorated um, WFMU in uh, yeah. at Uppsala, which was originally at Uppsala College, and Dad was on the air and Mom was calling in, and it's this like half an hour long recording at three in the morning. Of my parents when they were 20 years old, very serious. I mean, it was a serious moment, but of course to me it's completely adorable. Like, my mom has this, like, kind of little girlish voice and this, like, thick Jersey accent also. (laughs) And my dad's like, well, like, Winnie, what's, what's happening out there? And he's got this, like, his radio voice on. And, um... So I made them both listen to it with me and like talk about it. And um so it's it's kind of selfish on my part just because it's something that I want to talk to them and to him about these things and about yeah. all this history. What an amazing document to have. Yeah. I know. That's phenomenal. And and that was when his uh, that's when he broadcast was that the late hour? Uh, was it always was, 3 a.m.? He it's was a choice spot. A this show maker. goes up at 4 a.m. <laughs> right. we, we release it Thursdays at 4 a.m. I'll be up. I'll yeah. be awake yeah. well, tweets. We'll, we'll, we'll fave each other's <laughs> tweets at that time. He likes he likes a late night spot. What was yeah. the show called for most of the run? It was mostly uh, called Idiot's Delight. Yeah. And he would do uh, either Saturday or Sunday nights, depending on what year it was, like an 8 to eight to midnight, but uh, he would get them to agree to kind of let him go as long as he wanted. So frequently he would stay on until 2 a.m. just because he wanted to. Just to find a natural place to end it. Yeah, just because he had more to say or more (laughs) to play. So he was known for 
for being that guy who's on late at night. And he, it's safe to say he became kind of the um, uh, fabric of New York City if you were living here. I think so. There's people who grew up, if you grew up in New York or New Jersey during like the 80s and 90s and you listened to radio and you and you loved music, uh, those are the people who will, who will recognize my last name and yeah. will say, oh, any relation to Van... When you put down the credit card, that kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. I'll be like, can oh. I get an upgrade? Yeah. Oh, right. <laughs> it doesn't. Absolutely. Unfortunately, it doesn't. You get doesn't. a lot of upgrades with that? No. No. <laughs> well, I thought I listened, to, I listened to the podcast. Uh, uh, it's terrific. I Thank listened you. to that it. That means uh, a lot coming section. from you. Thank and, you. Um, <laughs> well, uh, and, uh, you know, not growing up in New York in the 80s and 90s. Yeah. I'll be honest. I didn't, I didn't, I'm not familiar with your dad's yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, work. So it's fantastic. There's a part where he gets very concerned that you got a book deal because of his celebrity. I know. And it's just the most wonderful dad moment and a dad celebrity moment. Like he wants me to explain to the people how he didn't help me. You did it in an honest way. You did it yourself. That's right. You didn't. You didn't As if he ride on his coattails. That's right. There was no. That's right. I mean, listen. If I could have gotten help, I would have. Yeah. Right. And you. You know what? Mm-hmm. Am I gonna refuse uh, connections? Yeah, that's what it all's all about. Oh, this this whole city runs on connections. Oh, you're telling me, that's all it is. <laughs> <laughs> It's exhausting just making these connections. I know it's, it takes all day. But now, growing up well, in that environment, did you hang out at the studio? Were you, you? It's too late. Were you waiting around for him to wrap it up? I would. I would hang out sometimes if he had on a guest that I was excited about. Uh, now, who would that be? Well, some of the big ones. The biggest one was uh, when I was a senior in high school. He got very involved with the cast of Hedwig and the Angry Inch. Oh, interesting! And that was when they were first doing the run of that show at the Jane Street Theater. Yeah, and he would have he had them on a couple times, and I would always go. Oh, oh I loved them. And earlier than that, you know, I really loved. Like I remember. I remember being there when Counting Crows was on. Hmm. I was a Counting Crows girl. Yeah. And he's Buds. What's their song? Black Hole Sun? There. Mr. Jones was their Oh, Mr. Jones. Hit. Yep. Although I like um, Round Here. That's uh-huh. a good one. Yeah, sure. That's a, I did that at karaoke recently. And it he's was, the guy with the dreadlocks? He's got the dreads. Yeah. A goatee, too? He's got the goatee. Did he date Winona Ryder? He maybe dated. I think they all did. Winona Ryder, and I saw him. My wife and I were our flight to Chicago was delayed around Christmas time, many years ago, and he was on that flight. Oh boy! And he was he was not being a diva. He was sitting on the airport floor. He had a stack of comic books, hmm. and he was just dealing with it the way just... we all were. Man, that's what's great about the airport. <laughs> I love it. It's just great equalizer. It's the great You know who it I really saw this? I was just out there in, uh, in Minnesota. Who? I saw Senator Al Franken. Oh, cool. That's a, a good one. He and his wife, uh, uh, Franny. That's a good sitting one. sitting there. They just watched the Vikings game. Yeah. And uh, just hanging out in khakis. Very sure. rumpled. <laughs> you want to say hello, but y- y- you can't. I couldn't. I've seen a lot of great celebs at well, the airport. I'll tell you who... Uh, we had a kind of epic spotting, and I didn't want to say hello, and my friends made us, which oh, is boy. the night that my book came out, we went to a, a restaurant in Park Slope that I, uh, we go to all the time, but I knew that uh, it was, it's de Blasio's 
favorite restaurant when he's in his old neighborhood, but yep. I've never seen him there. Okay. And I also learned that I would not recognize him if I saw him, which is so <laughs> weird because he's a very distinctive looking dude. Yeah. And um, he, I was with a bunch of my friends and he and his wife were having dinner at this restaurant and my friends got it into their head that we had to give them a copy of my book and say it was for their daughter, which their daughter is, she's not a teenager anymore. I think she's in her early yeah. 20s. Yeah. And I was like, please leave them alone. They're having a date night. Like, let's like not bother right. the mayor right. and his wife. And I was totally wrong because my friends bothered them and gave them a book. And they were the loveliest people. Well, and I mean, they're politicians. So yes, it's their job still, to be charming. They didn't, they didn't have to be. No. They both came over and said congratulations. And I, I don't know. It was a very... I felt blessed, blessed by the mayor and his wife. Yeah, you got a little uh, progressive dust on you. I, I felt like they like sprinkled yeah. just a little on my head. Well, that's fantastic. That was that's cute. Not who, that's not who I thought you were going to say. Well, I'm uh, happy that it turned out to be <laughs> to be uh, old Mayor de Blasio. It was old Billy. That's good. Well, do you remember what you wanted to first be as a kid as you're hanging out, seeing all these people come through? Like uh, what I wanted to grow up to do. Yeah, my niece's daughter just decided she wants to be a gym teacher, and uh, I don't know. Do you remember any of your gym teachers? Oh yeah. Yeah, all all left a mark, didn't they? It's an influential <laughs> position in our lives. <laughs> yeah. I had one that was a Civil War reenactor. Oh, that's good. Lovely gal. Oh, that's really good. Did yeah. she bring that to her like instruction at all? I believe she did. <laughs> we were very regimented on our rope climb. Oh my god. Set up an old obstacle course of just stones, whatever else they had in the Civil War. Who knows? Right, was it Civil War? I gotta, War gotta watch the History Channel to check out what kind of things they had. I imagine it was just stones up until about 1900. Probably. Yeah. Well, I actually, I had an amazing gym teacher in elementary school who I'm actually, I think I'm gonna see her this week. She's gonna come to you. Wow. A book party that we're having in New Jersey. <laughs> yeah. And she, um, her name is Nancy, and she was, she still is, the gym teacher at this uh like Quaker-esque um mm. private school in in suburban New Jersey that I went to because I couldn't deal with reality and they were like go here with the weirdos with the Quakers go here with the Quaker weirdos oh boy yep and it it was much better for me and so at Quaker weird it wasn't technically Quaker but it was that the philosophy and at that school they made you do everything so mm-hmm. all the boys who were reluctant singers still had to sing in the choir and everyone had to do wood shop and everyone had to play on the field hockey team. So my coach... It's a big school? Very small school. Okay, all right. Like 20 people in the class. Oh, okay, class. so enough for a team, not right. enough for a mob. Okay, right. I got you. Like it, they couldn't have a team unless we all played. Yeah. And I'm the least athletic human ever just ever made (laughs) and poor nancy was so kind to me and literally like she'd be like okay you know go run laps i just wouldn't even try and when i flop over i just i'm like why there i don't even know like i'm just like i'm you know i'm 10 years old i'm like i'm gonna walk it coach like not even uh, any pretense of of making an effort yeah and when I think back at how amused she must have been by, like, 
how incredibly lazy I was. <laughs> but she was very supportive. Was it lazy or were you just confident in your uh, choice to not be uh, involved in athletics? Oh, that's such a good question. Because I, I, I still don't know the answer to that <laughs> now. Because yeah. sometimes I think like, no, this is just part of my identity is I'm not like I'm an inside cat. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and then sometimes I think I am really lazy. Do you? Are you athletic? Uh, you know, I'm not. Uh, it's not the first choice. <laughs> I, 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 I signed off of seamless, and I lost ten pounds. Oh so God. I feel like I don't really have to work out. No, no. As long as I just don't keep ordering up those uh, bond me sandwiches to the office. Oh my God! Got to go out. Because you order a bon me, you also have to get the iced coffee and a couple of spring rolls or something. Oh, There's yeah. a minimum. Yeah. <sighs> so you're doing you're doing better now. I'm doing okay, better. I got one of those things that tracks my steps. Oh yeah, that's yeah. good. But as a kid, no, I would uh, be a little. I you know what it was though. I didn't like being forced to do it. I still don't like being forced to do yeah. anything. And here's like here's a time where you're now going to have to do something you don't like to do. Right. No, thank you, man. You know what I used to do when I ran track? I'd head over to the roast beef sandwich place. <laughs> Everybody head off to the right. I went to the left. Had a roast beef sandwich and a pint of ice cream. Cause you just because you can. Who was going to stop me? I would still catch up with the people. Coach never knew. Right. He knew once I, you know, <laughs> slovenly <laughs> dripping with ice cream all over my shirt across the... Oh Anyhow, I was never inclined to do it. I was often the most improved player when I would do things. Well, that's good because if you set the bar real low, exactly. then you can improve a lot. Exactly. Everybody gets an award. Yeah. But you, you know, this the book that you wrote has to do with kind of looking back, and you yes. have an affinity for nostalgia. I think you've declared that somewhere. Yes. And uh, how does that manifest the the nostalgia bent? I can see there's some lovely things in your home. Yeah. Maybe some from a different era. Some things from a different era. I have. I'm a little bit of a hoarder. Like I. Pretty little. I got to say, little. I know. I had warned you. This I had is a said small there was space. some hoarding. But it's not that bad. It's not that bad. There's just... Um, Unless there's just one room where if you open it up, it all spills. <laughs> it's in the back, isn't it? Yep. <laughs> you had a little bungee cord on the doorknobs to keep it shut. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Okay. Yep. All right. It's okay. So, it's a safe space. Thank you. <laughs> I, I have trouble... Um, yeah, I think my nostalgia manifests in in ascribing a lot of sentimentality to objects. Yeah. And that becomes complicated when it's like uh get just get rid of things. Like uh, old clothing that doesn't fit anymore, but that I can remember wearing. Mhm. And I can remember how I felt when I wore it. Mhm. And I had my, a friend say something dangerous to me, which he was like, well, you're a writer, so that's good. You need those things around. And I was like, oh, my oh, God, boy. don't give, don't justify my horrifying behavior. Because it won't be like one thing where I'm like, oh, my wedding dress. I remember how I felt when I wore it. I should keep it. It'll be like a closet full of things. Yeah. And then it's like, okay, you don't need, why are you remembering all those days? Like, write them down and throw that crap out or something. Like It was a Tuesday. I had soft serve. <laughs> right? It wasn't that special. It just, I remember it. Uh-huh. So, and I actually used to be much worse about those things when I was younger. And, and in college, 
I was really sentimental about things and I would get upset when things in my parents' neighborhood changed mm-hmm. and, um, you know, like when a movie theater would close that I had been to as a kid, I was like, oh, how, like. You're an only child? Only child. Yeah, okay. There that's we go. That's an only child problem. Because that's your, like, your whole world. That's the whole thing. You're and mourning the loss there. Of your childhood. Yeah, there's something about being an only child. I don't know if it's true for you. But uh, uh, for me, a lot of the time, it was uh, I, I, not that I'm afraid of being alone. That's fine. But I would always be afraid of being, uh, no, not that I was afraid of being lonely, but I was afraid of being alone. I uh-huh. inverted that. Mm-hmm. So uh, these things that would disappear, things that would just go, go away, yeah. it was always very difficult for me. Yeah, that things can just leave you. Yes. Because we see, okay, this is interesting. We see that people can just leave you like people who have siblings the sibling can't get away from you and you can't get away from them people try so you can try (laughs) but um so there's some kind of inherent feeling of like "Eh, someone might go away but they never really go away right and an only child is like no if a friend stops hanging out with me i'm completely alone and they're gone forever yeah oh that's interesting if your parents pass you're alone right right like, that's the most dramatic version of that, but that that's really it. Right. And then you got to make your way. So when that thing, the place where you went together is no right. longer there, when the shopping mall goes away, oh God. when the photo mat disappears, oh no. I'm just telling you, I felt some of the same things. That's yeah. all. It's fascinating. Part of why sometimes doing recording is a nice thing to do, because it kind of sticks around a little bit, one hopes. Yeah. Who knows? I know. Just I like it. on a server somewhere. It'll go down. You're, we're done. Well, I... The waters rise. Forget it. <laughs> I know. <laughs> There's nothing's forever. Well, I was thinking about this the other day in thinking about, uh, you know, my dad having done radio and myself and, um, you know, my doing theater and those both being really uh, time-based, intangible things that either you were there and you heard them or you missed it. Yep. And that now... I'm right. I'm podcasting and I'm, I'm made a book and right. As permanent as things can get, those are, those are at least objects or the podcast is exists on your podcast device. However it works. I'm still not clear. But the idea that like, I'm like, ah, yeah, I think I'm returning to like, I need some things to hold on to a little bit. Cause all that work for something. Just, when you're doing it yourself, yeah. Well, uh, but with it, it's it's interesting though to be devoted to something that is ephemeral. However, you get to do it with a group of people. Mm-hmm. That was always attractive to me about the theater, doing the comedy shows and things. Right. Right, because then it becomes about the relationships. Yeah. And that becomes well. That's also a nice thing for an only child. I found right, it is, isn't it? That you're like to oh, be embraced. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, we're so people have to be we're our friends because so... we're in a show together. Right. <laughs> we have to eat together. Right. And we have to travel. Oh, do you like together. eating alone? <laughs> oh my god. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I like eating alone. Sometimes it's okay. Not all the time. Not all the Too time. Too much. What I don't like now is that I feel compelled to look at the phone. Right. Yeah. You're not doing mindful eating. You're not sitting and chewing. Oh, no. The days of mindful eating are over. (laughs) No one does mindful eating anymore. That's old news. It's so 2010. But speaking of theater, you got involved with the elevator repair service. Yeah. 
You've, you fell into this as an intern or something out of college, yep. in college, while you're there? A week after I graduated, I started interning for uh-huh. ERS. A great New York City experimental theater company. Yes. Uh, maybe along the lines of uh, coming out of the uh, influence of Worcester Group. Definitely. Uh, Richard Foreman. Mm-hmm. Maybe. That guy gives me a headache. Yeah, me too. It's always like watching math. <laughs> like, what are you doing with the strings? I wonder if... I've never tried watching that work in an altered state. I wonder if it would oh. be better or worse. Because it is dream. It's his dream, sort of, yeah. that he's presenting. So you being in your own lucid mind, I think, doesn't actually help the situation. Can't be worse. And so then uh, you were involved in the in a production, though, that I saw, uh, Gats. Yes. Which is the uh, uh, straight reading. I mean, a performance yes. of The Great Gatsby yes. on stage, and all the parts are being acted out, I'm yeah. a- accurately describing it thus far, yeah. and I saw it at the public, and you were fantastic in it, Thank stellar, you. absolutely great. And I, I told you before we started, I never really cared about the book, didn't have any relevance to me. Me neither. I know we were assigned it, I didn't read it, uh, but uh, then uh, this, this show got me totally, I understood it in a way that I could never have understood it if I was just reading it. Yeah, I think. I think, well, I'll tell you, the same thing happened to me, where I had read it in high school and been like, I don't really get it. Like, uh, you know, it, it's interesting. I had a connection to the Kurt Vonnegut that we read in high school. We had to read Slaughterhouse-Five, and that yeah. really spoke to me. Mm-hmm. But that was the only book I remember being assigned in high school that I was like, oh, this means something. Gatsby was like, okay, you know. Yeah. American Dream and Flappers and... Hamptons. Hamptons. Like, the, what is this about? And then it was only in hearing it 200 times... Yes. ...that I got it. <laughs> that I was like, oh, this is incredible writing. And um, the way this guy is making you feel things is very, very advanced. And the stuff that he's talking about, I think, actually should... And can only be appreciated later in life. Yeah, I think that's true. I do. Because uh, yeah. you have to have some of those experiences. Yep. Like, I've been to the Hamptons now. I've seen right. some of those parties. Right. I understand the context of that era a little bit. And I know what it's like to be a phony. Yeah. And to encounter phonies. You don't know in high school yet what it's like to be a phony. Yeah. And you need to, you learn that in your 20s. Yeah, <laughs> you really do. Yeah, and then... Uh, and then you can understand that book. Yeah. And yeah, and to encounter phonies and to say they're charming anyway, even though they're phony. Yeah. And I'm intrigued by them anyway, and I understand why they're phony. And uh, like I understand what it means to try to make an identity out of nothing, because that's how everyone feels. Yeah, right about 26, I think most yep. people hit a wall and say, gosh, what am I doing? Yeah. Yeah, like, what am I basing any of this on? Yeah. <laughs> so you need to have had that. Now and we have probably, it all, all figured out. Right? Oh, now I get it. I totally, <laughs> I got it. Now I totally got it. You also have to, like, ha- loved some people who didn't love you bad. There you go. And, like, acted in really go. embarrassing ways about uh-huh. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That needs to have happened. Yeah. You need to have uh, touched the flame. Yeah, because otherwise you're like, what is wrong with Gatsby? What is this yeah. like? What is with the shirts? The shirts. And then later you're like, oh, yeah, man, I get those shirts. <laughs> I get it. 
that's the key. And you played a, a secretary. I was a secretary in, in the office because our premise was the set was a dingy Long Island office. Yeah. Of some nondescript business uh, that involved a lot of paper. There's always a lot of paper. There and was a lot of paper. Some um, really old technology. Like the computer was from like 1993. Yeah. And it would, we needed the computer to not turn on because the premise was this guy comes into work, tries to turn on his computer. It doesn't turn on. He starts reading a copy of The Great Gatsby out loud. But the computer had to not function in such a specific way, of course. Like, this is the Wooster Group influence, is like, if a thing is going to not work, it has to not work exactly like this. Right. And, and then the times when we then had to replace this ancient piece of equipment, it was very huge drama. Or like... You know, we had a Rolodex. It had to be exactly this kind of weird Rolodex. But how did it have to not work, though? It yes. had to give some sort of error oh, message. Did we see that as the audience? Some of the audience members could see it. There's a lot in that show that oh, only goodness. that would happen for like only ten people. Yeah, could see. Well, they probably enjoyed it. Yeah, that's the thing. We like to give little treats. Yeah, that's a close watch. <laughs> The reward's a close watch. And actually, I've had people who uh, had to see the show twice before they really noticed everything that I did, which I don't mind because I do feel like my role in that show was a little bit like... There's a great character in... um, this is a pretentious reference. The Bitter Tears of Petra von Kant. Oh, yeah, Kant sure. Von Kant. Yeah. Um, the, uh, what's his name? The amazing director. I don't know. I'm not pretentious enough now to remember his name. I think that balances it out nicely. Thank you. But that's this great film about this woman who has uh, an assistant. She's a She's a fashion designer and it's just her and her apartment and then there's like her silent assistant is just going around and like making everything happen but then being abused but then just silently like in the background all the time and i i took inspiration from from that film it's like the muppet caper the great muppet caper what isn't uh, miss piggy a little uh, she's an assistant <laughs> Yes, to right. like a fashion person unless she's running the whole enterprise and then in which case i apologize but i no, thought that I she think is that's like that's right I think she's moved to to. No, this is good. Where, wherever she is, right? Yeah, my, yeah, yeah. I think that's right. I think that's right. Yeah, I also. Well, you know what? I didn't base that role on Miss Piggy, but I, <laughs> there's another. There is this show. Our one of our other uh, great American literature shows that we did was a version of The Sun Also Rises. Yeah. Um, called The Select, where I played this character named Francis, who's this jilted woman who gives a five page long screeching monologue that Hemingway wrote as a monologue like an uninter like I think he took dictation one day in a cafe <laughs> when a woman was freaking out where she basically just you know rips her now ex-fiance a new one and I whenever I had trouble with that part I would think of Miss Piggy she and then. I would do it as, like, everything but, like, hi, yeah. <laughs> you didn't like, do a karate move? No, but yeah. I would do a couple, like, exits and entrances like her where she, like. Flipping the hair. Yeah, she is, and she's doing this sort of bouncing with the curls. <laughs> I think she's a very advanced performer. 
Well, that's that's Frank Oz for you. <laughs> that's true. Frank Oz, I guess, is the advanced one. He's the he's the feminist they should have been honoring at uh, oh. the Brooklyn Museum. Yeah. I think they honored Miss Piggy with some kind of an award. Right. They should honor things are getting Frank. weird. But now, what was your character's name in the in the in the show? We named her Lucille because I played the secretary. But then when um, Parties would happen. Uh-huh. Oh, yes. I would become a party goer. Right. And so I was this angry secretary who, like, if a bottle of alcohol came out, all of a sudden was, like, the most crazy fun girl at the party. Right. Which I've worked with some of those gals. I know, right? Those are real That's ladies. True. Yeah, at the office party. And then they're pissed afterwards that they have to clean it up. But, like, oh, yeah. you know, whatever. And so a couple... Fitzgerald has a few things that were either not that well copy-edited or he... Um, left them in on purpose and one is that he has multiple characters named Lucille Um, small characters and I play all of them everybody that was identified as Lucille Uh you played Mm -hmm. so then I was Lucille Uh and you had a it's eight hours roughly Uh there's a dinner break so you break. go and have dinner oh that's right I think I did where do you have dinner when you probably ate upstairs I don't know yeah (laughs) where did I go Maybe upstairs. You could have gone next you, to... You won't know the answer. Well, they're, they like to arrange, pre-arrange uh, options for you. They would get special... I think I went to the library. That's usually my spot. Okay. I like it up there. It's nice, right? Oh, it's classy. You get some good drinks, too. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and part of what you did in there is you were working on this uh, a book. Yeah. Fans of the Impossible Life. Yes. So for the first few years... I would do okay. So for most of the show, I sat in a cubicle. Yeah, uh, that was on stage, but um, you could only see me from the shoulders up. And then I would come on stage to be part of one of these party scenes, or I had a bunch of office work, like I would deliver papers or have something to sign. Or um, so I had all this time where I was sitting on stage, not doing anything, just having to be part of the set, basically, yeah. and. The first couple of years, I would do fake work, which meant writing weird inter-office notes, which we, you know, I would then share. We then, like, put that together and made a book of, like, my weird notes. And then Jim Fletcher, who played Gatsby, had to do some typing on stage, and he wrote the weirdest poems, like, really <laughs> disturbing, incredible poems that I, he would show to me on stage and we would have to have a discussion about them like there would be a moment when something else was going on and i'd have to come on and he'd be like you know come i have to show you this lucille i have to show you this this thing i'm working on and it would say like you know the woman's hands you know tucked under my eyeballs oh jeez love down the trail like i don't just something amazing and i'd be standing Ten feet from an audience member having to be like, okay, well, yeah, I think I can get that collated by this afternoon. He'd be like, mm-hmm, what about this part? You know? So that was how he we... sounds fun. That was how we entertained ourselves. Sounds like a lot of fun. It was good. We needed it. We yeah. were in a weird theater nightmare yeah. that I mean, never ended. Kind of a heightened uh, space by the time you get through with that. Yeah. You said so eight years? It was eight years of touring and performing all together. <sighs> and we would do... Mostly shorter one or two week tours here and there, and then a but a good bunch of month long runs, 
um, in New York and in Boston and the Sydney Opera House and on the West End in London. And mm-hmm. Not so bad. It was pretty good, but you would go to these places and you would be in the theater for 10 hours of the day and you'd be like, I could be anywhere. Right. See Big Ben on the way home in mm-hmm. the back of a cab. Exactly. Yeah. Which still, you're seeing Big Ben. Oh, hey, great. Listen. But it, uh, yeah, so after the first few years, once I felt pretty confident with my blocking and lines, I started writing on stage. So it was like, uh, did you ever work in an office before? I had worked in the company's office, and the joke was that when they were first casting the show, they were like, oh, we need someone to pretend to answer phones on stage, and Kate answers phones in real life, so we know she can do it. We've, like, seen it. Yeah. They had that in their mind already. (laughs) That was my audition. Amazing. That much thought goes into a very elaborate... Very elaborate casting process. (laughs) So, uh, The Fans of the Impossible Life just came out a couple weeks ago. Yep. This is a YA book. Mm Mm-hmm. Young adult. That's right. I'm not either of those things. I can't. That's a what? A tween? Post-tween? What's a young adult? 14 and up is uh, young adult. And then younger than 14, they tend to call middle grade. So like a 9 to 14 is a middle grade book. Yeah. But 14 and up, that's that's young adult. Yeah. We, we didn't have any of those distinctions. No, back in the day. When I was growing up. You were either old enough to work in the mines or you weren't. Exactly. And most of us were, and we, that's, that's what we did. Got our lunch pails and down we went. Yeah, that's right. Covered in soot every day. So uh, I see a lot of people doing these YA books. Yeah. It's a growing market, growing Growing sector. Because um, really since Harry Potter and I don't know, the big ones, you know, like Twilight, Hunger Games. Those are all young adult? Well, yeah, they're all young adult. I mean, Harry Potter... Is kids start reading that even younger? Yeah, kids will start yeah. reading that around nine or ten. Oh, yeah. But those are young adult series, and I think they made reading cool, and they made kids interested in stories about teenagers. Um, and they just kids, it's cool to read right now. As Absolutely. A teen. I mean, it's always been cool. It's to always read. been cool. But. Um, Set me out there with my knapsack full of books. Right. My weekly reader. Use my weekly reader bucks. Oh, weekly reader. Right? Use those. <gasps> oh, my God. Cash it in. Have the owl on it or something, yep. I want to say. Yep. Owl bucks. Yep. Who gives a hoot? No, that's the other one. <laughs> you had something. You cashed them in. You should select the books you owl want, and you give them the book. <laughs> you that's give them right. the bucks. That's right. I miss a good weekly reader. Yeah. That's a blast. Reading's always past. been cool. Well... How do you even know to talk to the young people, though? I don't know. I don't. I mean, some of them, they write me and they want they, they write to me. They want to know about fashion, and all that stuff. I I do my best. <laughs> you do have. Good, I answer every I would email. Imagine you would have good fashion advice. Yeah, I do. For that, it's pretty good. I am learning better. The funny thing is about the social media is complicated. Um, learning that I feel like has been something new. I mean, I just wrote a book. I wrote the book I wanted to read when I was a teenager. But social media is hard because you have to do social media to promote the book or to talk about it within the context of the book or weave it into the book is difficult. Uh, I didn't really weave it into the book. I tried to avoid the issue. I gave them phones that they could check email on, 
but I did not like put them on Facebook. Yeah. Cause that makes, you know, it's tough cause you want to present a realistic, you know, world and realistically all these kids are on Facebook. But nobody but knows what it, they're doing on there. Yeah, if it's not important to your story, yeah, who wants to read that? Well, was it hard for you to find the voice or did that come very naturally to you for the, for the, um, uh, for this world? It came kind of naturally. I think I'm, I'm stuck back there. Part of me is stuck back in teen, teendom, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it works. Thanks. Uh, I mean, good. <laughs> I appreciate you that. You want it to be that way. <laughs> and um, and what we're looking at part of the season is we're talking about characters and how you create characters and how you come to that point of finding the voice. And uh, that's why I was asking you about some of this. Um, and, and I was interested in some of the characters. Maybe you were surrounded as a kid by your gym teacher, probably had a big influence. As she you said, Na- Nancy? Yeah, she's going to be the there. Best. She's coming I'm out to see, see her. her. I'm going to see her in two it's, days. It's wonderfully uh, wonderful. And your father, see, I'm always collecting little bits of behaviors and patterns, sure. looking for things, that kind of thing. Uh, and you've created some fantastic characters in this book. Thank you. Three of them. Yep. The main, Mira, Jeremy, and Sebi. Yes, that's right. That's how I'm saying it correctly. Yep. Uh, and we, uh, they all, uh, I think, what they bring to it, if I may, Please. let me tell you what your books are about. Please do. They talk about what it's like to be on the on the outskirts of things, don't they? On the margins of that. You think 20 years ago, these, these characters would be the outliers, right? They would yeah. be the supporting cast. Exactly. You'd get the one little bit of color or something in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, literally, sometimes, if yeah. you had a person of color, but, you know, just a literary color. There's always been a kind of Halden Caulfield, Caulfield uh, you know, strain, a little misfit out there. But yeah, Tom Sawyer, a little bit out of place, wasn't he? Yeah. A little bit, but still... You know, right in right in line. Right. But to have children who are are, are these kids that are mixed race, uh, openly gay, dealing with body issues. Yep. That's uh, these things have always been there, but rarely discussed, haven't they? Yeah, and you, I think you really hit on it. Um, I was talking recently about how I had rewatched the movie Reality Bites. Oh sure. And that I watched it again and realized that I really cared about the supporting characters so much more than the main characters. I was interested in the weird, you know, Janine Garofalo as the, like, outrageous friend in crazy outfits who was too loud and, like, was considered, quote-unquote, chubby. And, you know, the queer guy who was kind of a weirdo. Like, I... Uh, those are the stories I want to tell because those are the characters that I relate to and the people that I know. And uh, luckily, it's a moment when there's the readers are interested in that too. And there's been a call for uh, representation of that kind. And I mean, so it's great to say like, okay, there's a there's a great um, literally. Uh, a campaign called we need diverse books in the young adult book world that's uh-huh. like that just that we need diverse books and which is great but i feel like in a way i mean I, it's just good timing for me because these are the stories i want to be telling anyway yeah so i i feel lucky that i that right telling the stories of the people who are normally marginalized um is something that's gonna work in this moment in time Absolutely, and the fact that they're not uh, mutants, 
They're not uh, yeah. shooting icicles. They're it's not, not a uh, metaphor. Vampires. Yeah, it doesn't have to be no a metaphor. Like that's a good point. Because X Men, right? X Men is like this is a metaphor for gayness. I'm like, I don't want a metaphor for gayness. Right. I just let's just be gay. And there's there's so much progress still to be made. There was just, there's all this controversy. I don't know if you've read about the new Stonewall movie that's coming out. Only a little bit that people don't like it. People are mad, and I actually because what is kind of whitewashed, right? Is that what it is? It's whitewashed. It's like, and I don't. I mean, listen. Meaning everyone's white that's in the movie. That's what I mean by whitewash. Everyone is like literally painted with white paint. <laughs> They're like right. a fence. Yeah. <laughs> well, there was all this outcry, and I'm like, look, I haven't seen it. I don't, and I can't care. I can't care about controversies too much until there was an interview with um, the director, and he basically said, I wanted to have a he used the word straight acting, straight acting white guy as my protagonist because that tests better than having if he had had, you know, a trans person of color as his protagonist was the implication. And like, you can make that choice. Like, I, I'm not going to, you know, I, I'm not going to be like, why would you say that out loud? I know. Now, look, now here comes the Internet. You know, here they, I can hear it. But that's it's you can a, make whatever movie you want to make. But I personally am going to take that as a, a, a I'm going to take that on as a personal mission to then say I'm going to make the queerest characters you've ever seen. <laughs> you know, and like I'm going to make them relatable. Like watch me make them relatable. Right. Watch me show you that like. The sissiest boy has humanity. Like, how dare you? How dare you rob people who you think are marginalized of basic humanity? And also rob, like, an audience of their own intelligence that they can look at someone who isn't like them and say, I understand them. P.S. You say this, like, quote-unquote, tests well, tests better with audiences. You're implying that your audiences are made up of of straight-acting white people. Right. Like, who... Yeah, that's what makes me nuts, especially about the presentation of queer stories right now, is... Yeah, who's your audience? Who, who are you making this for? And it's often well, not right. me. And that's interesting to me because well, I like it. Also, queer sounds stuff. like you. What's the mechanism by which you get something out there in yeah. the world? And you got to go through some kind of test screening thing. I'm saying when I say don't say that out loud. Also, don't have that idea. But but <laughs> you're talking about you're appealing to some kind of system that is clearly broken. If you have to have some kind of testing, you know yeah. who would have tested good? Strom Thurmond. Right. That would have <laughs> been it. Strom goes to prom. Strom. Nice young adult. Oh, novel. wait, there you go. That's there you your next go. project right well, there. Well, I'm, I'm just pitching it now. No, we'll see if we can get it going. No. Because, Well, so for me, here's what's been interesting to me about this whole process of, of getting this book published. I never thought in a million years I would get away with what I'm getting away with in this book from and have it published by a mainstream publisher. Yeah. And the fact that that was able to happen for me, I want to like shout from the rooftops Stop 
protecting people from what they don't need. Like, just try it. Why don't you try to write your your radical Stonewall movie? And why doesn't the the studio try to everyone just try? Because the right. truth of the matter is, they're all terrified because there's so much money behind things. They're terrified to actually give give the benefit of the doubt to their audiences, which is that audiences are smart and are interested in something new. Yeah. And they they don't need the things that they needed before. They don't need a white person, a straight acting white person at the center to like make them feel comfortable. Just some uh, something that's authentic. Yeah. I really think that's that uh, at the heart of it. Yeah. Have someone who is authentic conveying authentic ideas. We're talking about spotting a phony. Right? right. Yep. You can spot a phony when they're in there. Right. It right. doesn't work. Look at any of the people running for president. Right. For instance. Oh no, but some of, you know what I mean. Yeah. In the movies and things when it doesn't work. Even though that's a world of pretend, you still you know when it's when it's when it's happening, right? And that's you created people uh, in this. I call them people because they're they're very real to me. Well, they seem real. The people in your book and uh, is very honest and sensitive and straightforward, and it doesn't. They just go about their life. It's not questioning or judging it as they go about right. these things. I mean, that said, there are some things in this book that are a little. Push, yeah. push the edges. There's I'd some say. racy stuff in this I'd book. I'd say something. Maybe if I was a young adult, I w- but I was, you know, mm-hmm. from a you know, pretty progressive, but uh, not the. I mean, I don't. I'm just. <laughs> can you? I, this is audio blushing, is what I'm saying. I, I wasn't, you there know, confined, but there's some over. things in this that I would think, oh gosh, got to put this under the pillow. You know, know. it's um, that's amazing I that got you got away with it. I mean. Kids just more in tune with that. So I remember finding a hustler at the park, and I didn't know what was going on with it. I put it back. <laughs> you know, there's some stuff in here in the in the in the mall. I know that's quite a scene. It's quite a scene. Not Kate. suitable. Not a, not suitable for work. Oh, good thing these kids don't go to work. <laughs> they don't go to work. <laughs> but are they? Do you think that's it? The kids are just in tune with it. Why shield them? Because they already know about this stuff. For me in writing it, you mean? Yeah. There's some sex stuff in there. There's some sex. There's some drugs. I think, uh, yeah, I mean, all I wanted when I was a teenager was to read about sex. I mean, even younger. You would like, (laughs) I remember, you know, flipping through the whatever Judy Bloom book had sex in it to like, be like, where is it? You know, and I don't, (laughs) yeah, like, just want to read that part, you know, (laughs) but this is before the internet also. So who knows today with these kids, right? but I do think that portraying an honest picture of sexuality, that's not also always pretty, that's complicated, especially when you're dealing with these three people where their friendship is, uh, incredibly intimate and i think um i'm really interested in the complexities of that of where intimacy crosses over into sexuality and friendship crosses over into sexuality and that yeah comes from just my own feelings and experiences as a teenager of um you know 
is this person my best friend? Am I in love with them? Are sure. Am I a lesbian? Are the, is he gay? Is she a lesbian? You know, where it's like everything's up for grabs and it should be that's a moment when it's like even if you say okay i'm i'm a lesbian i'm 17 and i'm a lesbian like that that's gonna get that label's gonna get pushed around a little and gonna get you know questioned and gonna get and it should be that's the moment for that yeah so it's not as if it's one thing Right. Also, right. The way in which you define that like is now I am up to lesbian you. and I will act this way. Well, you do have to get two cats. This I understand. There's seen. some ground rule. You know, you, you, you go I mean, into scouting. You got to get the uniform. Right. But I mean, everybody's once you sign up for the meetings, then there. That's when the rules settle. In. Yeah, yeah. And you get to maybe you're better at making fires, right. or I, uh, I don't know. I don't know how I'm far out to one. take this. I'm working on that badge. <laughs> the badges. <laughs> So nice to have things that we pin to our bodies, <laughs> or I guess on the cloth. I mean, on the cloth. You yeah, don't have you to have pin the it sash. Directly. Yeah. I, don't, <laughs> I don't know that much about being a lesbian. It's, I'll show it to you when we're done. <laughs> don't worry about it. But that's it's important to have these three dimensional characters and people that are of this moment. Yeah, and I think that's what you've done. Now, uh, as I said, I haven't gotten to the end, so. Uh, okay. Will there be a continuation with these characters? or uh... There is no plan for a continuation. Okay. I'm assuming they don't all die in an avalanche, but uh, I don't know what well, happens. no spoilers. Okay, no spoilers. I'll, I'll stay tuned. <laughs> but would you like to see them? Uh, I think that the characters are so strong, it would be great to spend more time with them yeah. in some fashion. I don't know if that means putting them uh, into some other form or not. Would you be uh, interested in that? Are you pursuing that? I, well, right now I'm working on something brand new. Hey. That is a second young adult that is completely unrelated to this one. Fair enough. So that's going to happen for now. Okay. But I do agree with you that I don't think I'm quite done with these guys. Yeah. I bet others are going to feel the same. You yeah. get attached to them. Totally. I know. I'm very attached to them. Yeah, they're very sweet. <laughs> Thank you. That's the, that's kind of the, the, the key to it. Yeah. Now, um... And people can get the book anywhere. Yep, it's in all the online outlets and most bookstores. Good. That's and if great. a bookstore doesn't have it, you tell them, you go tell them yeah, to you, get it. Yeah, you request it. You say. Just like almond milk at the bodega. Exactly. You carry this? Oh, I'll get it if you want me to. And then the guy gets it, you never go back. Right. Oh, I've ordered for Fresh Direct. Anyhow, uh, <laughs> anything else you want to get into? Spiritual conspiracy theories? Probably, Ooh, probably spiritual best to, conspiracy theories. Yeah, we shouldn't talk about them on the record. Me. You a Berenstein bear or a Berenstein bear? Oh gosh, right. Well, what is the what is the conspiracy around that? That there was a time traveler named John Titer who traveled back in time and, and set off some it. kind of butterfly effect, where we remember Berenstein bears. But in fact, now we live in the Berenstain universe. Well, you know what, though? But I went back and listened to that theme song, and yeah. they're just saying it with a southern accent. Berenstain bears? Yeah. That's well, what see, they're there saying. You go. Berenstain, Berenstain bears. See, that's that the confusion. What, why was that it racist? Dirt. That was, um, uh, uh, what's it called when it's a part of the country? <laughs> Status? No. What? Uh, I keep saying genre. Regionist. Oh, regionist. Oh, that you were. Yeah, that was that's regionist. unfortunate. Oh, no. Well, you just did an accent. That's fine. No, it's... it was offensive, I think. 
People can tell us. Maybe later. in the Berenstein universe. But I a- do think that we just... Um, here's what it is. I think we're not very smart. It's a testament to we listened and we didn't really read. Yeah. So we all heard that theme song. Yeah. And we heard Berenstein which, with a southern accent, but they were really saying Berenstein. Berenstein. But you believe in time travel. Yeah. Okay. But I don't think that that I don't think that that's why. Uh huh. You ever listen to Coast to Coast with George Norrie? No. Oh, tune into that. That's okay. A good one. Uh, you ever want to join Freemasons? Mm, no, I'm already in a couple secret societies. Okay, fair enough. So I think that might conflict. Okay. <laughs> that's good. Those are. I'm just looking at all my questions. It's all good. Although you know. Freemasons. No, I. Although you know, I like I like witchy things. I've, I'm really into the new witchy. Like Wiccans. Yeah, like this. There's a new movement of. Um, I guess a real Wiccan would call it kind of watered down, but it's. I took a. <laughs> yep. Now okay. I'm in trouble. Okay. But um. See how many letters we get. Hmm. See how many curses we get. Oh no! Well, I just started. I studied tarot this past spring. Hey, fantastic! For like a, in a six month class. That's all you need. And uh, yeah, I got it. I'm, I got it down now. You gonna have a storefront or something? Well, I get a little nervous about getting paid for it. I I ah, I don't that's, that's... I don't mind paying other people to do it. Uh-huh. But I don't like um I don't want to charge. I like that you're keeping it uh, very real and very true. Yeah. I have a pure. This table would make a good séance table. Oh yeah. You want to have some folks over? Oh yeah, good idea. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, you're welcome. Yeah, I don't do a lot of I haven't done too much contacting the dead kind of thing because i'm just i get very easily spooked me too yeah i think that connects with the only child business yeah only children like spend too much time alone with ghosts yeah like we know them. what's that yeah yeah you're alone in the house latchkey kids you come home what's that noise i don't know that's a ghost it could be a ghost i was it's gotta very, be a ghost it's i was i've very, seen ghosts yeah I yeah don't, I, I don't walk, even like talking about it no i know i know I walk around and I just say like I say like no thank you exactly right because like, I don't I don't want to um, I don't mind if they're there but like I don't want to see them yeah we don't need to have any kind of a bad deal no like, and listen, I don't I'm, I appreciate you're here yeah like go I about can your share business space. I can we're totally gonna be share fine space. we're yeah, gonna yeah, be yeah. fine and I'm also like good vibes I send you good vibes I like wish you well and I'm gonna do my thing so like don't see. I knew when we were up there late at night. I knew we were doing the same thing. <laughs> like, you Absolutely. got that TV on. I got the TV on just to drown out the noise from all the clopping around of the ghosts. Like My constantly dragging, having to stop it. Dragging the their chains. chains. Oh, the chain dragging. <laughs> oh, it's exhausting. Every night Every with night the chain with the dragging. I just try to tweet just to... <laughs> Let them know I got things going on. Let them know you still exist. That's right. You're I'm like, I am alive. I'm I can living. tweet. Maybe Sorry. the ghosts are mad that they can't tweet. You should tweet for it. You should channel some tweets oh, from well, the ghosts. I bet somebody's doing that, don't you? <gasps> right I don't now, know. We're see, both it's too out. creepy. It's too creepy. I don't want to do it. Okay. I don't want to do it. Okay. This has been great. 
Thank you so much. Right? How, how fun was this? So fun. So fun. So good to talk to you. Uh, I look forward to seeing whatever happens next with the book. You're going to go out and do some more touring? I'm going to do uh, a few East Coast events. Um, they're all on my website at kateskelsa.com. There you go. And, um, yeah, and then I'm just going to... You know, it's funny. Uh, there's so much anticipation leading up to a book coming out like I worked on this book for six years we sold it two years ago yeah and I actually have to just like you have to let it go like there's nothing I can do for it now I can tweet a hundred times a day it does not it doesn't sell it actually does not sell more books it doesn't work well this ought to do it this is gonna sell them (laughs) if you guys could all just buy like three yeah. Books. Yeah. Then I and then email me through my website and I'll like um just say thank you or something. Okay. If <laughs> that's a nice bonus. Like if you buy <laughs> if you show me that you bought three copies of my book, like I will have like a nice email conversation with you. Is that good? That's incentive. Is that a that's perk? all the incentive I need. <laughs> I'm touching my phone right now. <laughs> All right, Kate. Thank you. Thanks for taking some time with me. Thank you so much. Okay. Well, there you have it. Isn't that something? My thanks to Kate and her catch. Uh, get the book. Listen to her podcast at kateskelsa.com. And uh, that'll do it for us here. Till next time, I'll be writing young adult novels featuring a cast of misfit empty whiskey bottles as they brave the first days of werewolf middle school. Now let's get back to that great music that we all enjoy. Dale Radio is written and performed by James Bewley, musical director Steve O'Reilly. Season theme composed and performed by Shockwave. Podcast icon for season eight designed by Jenny Fine. Listen to Dale on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Stitcher Radio. And follow the program on Twitter, at Dale Radio, or on Instagram, at Dale Seaver. If you'd like Dale to come to your local VFW or Elks Lodge, simply drop us a line at Radio at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. You're the best. <laughs>